Welcome to the Plant Witch Podcast, where we enter together into the web of life in all of its many seen and unseen dimensions. I'm Erin Schrader, owner of the Rebel Herbalist, and it is my honor to hold this portal to the other world. Let's enter, shall we? Welcome to episode 11 of the Plant Witch Podcast. This week, we're continuing our journey through the ecosystem of the human organism. Like all other animated life forms on this planet, humans have a method for communicating messages coherently throughout the organism and translating our sensory input into a coherent worldview that we're able to then interact with. We call this system the nervous system. The nervous system is a network of nerve fibers that extends through every part of the human body. The largest cluster of nerve cells called neurons and glial cells exists in the form of the central nervous system, comprising the brain and the spinal cord. This central organized cluster of neurons and glial cells are wrapped up and held by a tissue called the meninges and the dura. These tissues are like a protective covering over the brain and the spinal cord. When the meninges get inflamed from infection, we call that meningitis. Itis means inflammation. So meningitis is inflammation of the meninges. When we have bleeding on the brain under that dural covering, like if you fall and hit your head or you're in a car accident, that we call a subdural hematoma. Sub means under. So under the dura, hematoma means a collection of blood. So subdural subdural hematoma is a collection of blood under the dura. I love taking these words apart and looking at them more deeply. From the central nervous system, nerve fibers travel to all parts of our body. These nerve cells carry information from the central nervous system to the periphery of the body, or like the fingers and toes and the tip of the nose, and they are called efferent nerves. The nerve cells that carry information from the periphery back to the brain and spinal cord are called afferent nerve cells. The messages are carried to the periphery and back to the brain and spinal cord as electrical impulses. They're generated by the rapid movement of charged minerals that move quickly into and out of the neurons, which are the nerve cells. The movement of positively charged sodium, potassium, and calcium molecules create this slight electrical charge that carries nerve impulses through the nervous system. This electrical charge causes the release of neurotransmitters which are chemical messengers that move between the synapses of neurons, the little tiny space between one nerve cell and the next. That movement of the neurotransmitter across space to activate the next nerve cell causes that nerve cell to depolarize, which means it takes in a whole bunch of sodium or potassium and becomes activated. That activated neuron then releases neurotransmitters to indicate to the next neuron in the chain to activate or depolarize. All of this happens in 
the speed of light, basically. It happens so quickly from when the deep pressure sensors in your finger register touch, it almost instantly sends this cascade of depolarization to the brain so that we can perceive that sensation of touch. And the same thing when the efferent pathway sends the message from the brain to the finger to move to touch. It's, it all happens so quickly. This is the chemical and electrical overview of what's happening. If you've ever seen mycelium in the soil, it's that spiderweb type structure under the mulch when you turn it. That is the body mass of fungus. And it is a very similar structure to our nervous system. The nerve cells and the fungal mycelium grow in a pattern called a dendritic fractal. And this same pattern is used over and over again by life in the form of lightning strikes, tree roots, rivers draining into the ocean. This same pattern is used over and over and over again, the dendritic fractal. The part of the fungus that we see when we see a mushroom is just the fruiting body or the sex organs of the fungus. Most of its body is underground in the form of these filaments called mycelium, these spiderweb-like threads that grow in the pattern of the dendritic fractal. These filaments in the soil are acting a lot like neurons in the great brain of the forest. They shuttle messages around in the form of carbohydrates and nitrogen and water, just as the neurons in the human ecosystem shuttle around neurotransmitters, potassium and sodium. Our neurotransmitters are protein-based, which means they're made of nitrogen and hydrogen. While the roots and fungus communications in the plant world and the forest brain are also based in nitrogen. Plants communicate with one another about pests, hydration, overall health, and more through the network of the mycorrhiza or the connection between the mycelium and the roots of plants. Myco, mycelium, rhiza, roots. This communication happens in the forest brain just as our organs communicate with one another through the messages of our human nervous system. The messages of the nervous system create electrical impulses that reach the brain as action potentials, electrically charged pulses or packets of information. The brain receives this information and translates it into sensory experience. The waves of sound traveling through the air from my voice or anything else you're hearing around you, vibrate the tympanic membrane or eardrum, which then vibrates fluid in the middle ear, which causes the vibration of that sound to ripple down to little tiny hairs in the ear canal. Those hairs are innervated. So when they vibrate, they receive action potential. They are activated and they carry the frequency and amplitude of those vibrations as messages to the auditory cortex of the brain. The auditory cortex 
receives the signals in the form of depolarization of neurons in rapid succession and translates that into Mozart or Beethoven or Lil Nas X. The organized cluster of cells called the brain is able to translate pure energy and vibration into symphonies. The range of colors that we see, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, they're all photons vibrating at different frequencies that touch the backs of our eyes. At the back of the eye is a membrane called the retina. On the retina are clusters of cells called rods and cones. These cells specialize in perceiving different colors in the spectrum of light. As these color-specific cells are activated, they send an impulse to the brain that the brain then translates into everything that we see. All of this because photons from the sun touch the surface of the earth and are reflected or absorbed at varying frequencies, which then touch the rods and cones on our retinas, creating a nerve impulse that travels to the visual cortex of the brain just above the neck at the back of the head an area called the occipital lobe. The brain translates these impulses into Van Gogh, your lover's face, a sunset. This makes me wonder what sorts of messages are being received through the mycorrhiza of the forest, that root and fungal network, and what serves as the central nervous system what kind of world is that central processor translating to the mind of the forest? New research is showing that each forest has what are called mother trees. These trees are older, these trees are older, bigger, and their roots are connected to the rest of the forest through intact mycorrhizal networks. These trees funnel nutrients to saplings, store carbohydrates and water in the stumps of trees to be used later and so much more. Could these mother trees act as the central nervous system organs of the forest? Are they projecting a worldview and a sense of reality to that location, just as our brain does for the human experience of life? If the axiom so, as above, so below is a truth about the holographic nature of the universe, it would make sense that the organized system of communication and perception within the ecosystem of the human would be repeated in other forms of life. Perhaps a forest or landscape is a meta-being, composed of many contributing sentient beings, just as our bodies are composed of bacteria, fungus, viruses, mites, worms, equivalent to the birds and squirrels and foxes living in the forest. Perhaps this experience of organized systems of perception is another fractal like our mycorrhiza and lightning strikes and rivers draining into the sea and, and tree roots, the system repeats over and over again in infinite forms and presentations to meet the purposes of the mind of the creators of this realm. When I imagine the nervous system of the human, I think of Monotropa uniflora. Monotropa is called ghost pipe plant. It's neither a flower nor a fungus. It acts a little bit like both. This plant exists between the worlds. It's a parasite on the mycorrhizal network. It doesn't contain chlorophyll like most other plants. 
It receives the carbohydrates it needs from, tr from trees by siphoning them out of the mycorrhizal network. Ghost pipe or monotropa pulls the energy, the stimulus, out of the network to grow its body. Since monotropa doesn't need light to grow, it grows in dense forests, usually alongside birch trees. Without chlorophyll, the entire plant is translucent white, hence its name ghost pipe. Each plant produces a single flower on a single stalk. This flower is pollinated by bumblebees mostly, and a seed capsule forms, spreading monotropa throughout the forest floor. Monotropa uniflora works in the human ecosystem similarly to the function it carries in the sentient forest. When taken internally, monotropa changes the communication of nerve impulses to the central nervous system. Just as it sequesters sugars, the prime communication molecule of the forest brain, it also seems to change the delivery of the message of pain within the human nervous system. The stimulus of pain continues to exist, but the human mind has a different experience of it. The pain doesn't cause intense suffering. It's sort of set aside, not taking up the whole experience of the person who's in pain. This is the magic of monotropa medicine. It has been useful for emotional pain as well as physical pain. Monotropa is impossible. I say that lately. I don't think anything's impossible, but it's incredibly difficult to cultivate. So all the medicine you see on the market is wild crafted. It is a rare plant. So harvesting should only be done if the stand is healthy and abundant and you are truly in need of this medicine and no other medicine will do. Always ask permission of the plant and the land steward. Never take the first plant that you see because it could be the last plant in that area. Never take an entire stand. Usually 5% of a stand is um, really all we should ever take. Make sure you have a plan and the resources you need to promptly make medicine so that nothing goes to waste. In this way, we respectfully invite the potency of the medicine without exploiting our allies who are there to help us. The dosages of monotropa tincture are very small, three to 10 drops typically. I've heard of field medics using monotropa to help with pain of pepper spray or rubber bullets, and that they've had great effects with this. I've also heard of people using it um, for folks at like concerts or, or retreats who are having a really bad trip on a, a hallucinogenic drug. Uh, monotropa helps them to come out of that bad trip. It's also been used successfully in the treatment of PTSD. Other beneficial allies to the nervous system are fungi, fungi, mushrooms. One in particular is lion's mane. It's known to support the nervous system and in clinical trials, well, not clinical trials, but in research, <laughs> I don't think they've done clinical trials on it, but maybe they have. Um, the research I found shows um, the use of lion's mane in rats was significant in its impact to regenerate damaged nerve cells or nervous tissue. Um, the, the study I specifically read, the, the nervous tissue or the nerve cells of the rats were actually crushed in a crush injury. And in taking lion's mane tea, 
or lion's mane extracted into water, the rats regenerated nervous tissue at a rate that far exceeded the control group. Vitamin B12 and the class of herbs known as nervines are also supportive of the nervous system in the human body. Along with the amino acid precursors to hormones and neurotransmitters. Remember we talked about amino acids and nitrogen being the sort of communication um, chemicals for the human brain and also for the forest brain. In the human, amino acid precursors are tryptophan, tyrosine, and phenylalanine specifically. They are the building blocks of serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. These neurotransmitters orchestrate the human response to stress and also to joy and contentment. Vitamin D has also been shown to support nervous system health and to be neuroprotective. Inadequate vitamin D levels in pregnancy have been shown to negatively impact the development of the nervous system of the unborn child and may contribute to the development of schizophrenia and multiple sclerosis. Minerals like calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium are foundational to the message conveyance to the nervous system as well. Magnesium especially is frequently depleted in our soils, meaning that most of us are deficient in this mineral. Studies suggest that sleep is actually the resting state of the brain, and wakefulness creates a sense of stress and exertion. Humans require sleep, as do mammals, fish, and most every other creature. During sleep, the brain is able to process and store information, detoxify accumulated free radicals, regenerate damaged nervous tissue, and so much more. Sleep is essential to the nervous system. Trees have also been shown to have periods of sleep and wakefulness. I wonder what they dream about. Just like James Cameron's film, Avatar, our earth is wired together with a collective nervous system of plant roots, fungal mycelium, and subtle energies. Humans are connected to this web of life in more ways than we can imagine. By caring for our own neural networks, supporting healthy soil and forests, and taking responsibility for the worldview that we are creating together, our experience of life can be infinitely more joyful, rich, and beautiful. If you have questions about any of this information, feel free to drop me a line at therebelherbalist at gmail.com. The studies I've cited in this episode will also be linked in the show notes. Thank you for joining me for the Plant Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Schrader. I'm an herbalist, a mother, a holistic nurse, and a practitioner of the ancient ways. You can connect with me between episodes at therebelherbalist.com or on Instagram and Facebook at The Rebel Herbalist. Thank you for joining me and it's time to come back to life.